This is Fostering Conversations with Utah Foster Care, where we have insightful conversations about parenting for bio, foster, adoptive, or blended families to better understand the experiences we all face as families. Hello, everyone. When I say the word kinship, what comes to mind? Well, for me, it's my grandma and grandpa down on the farm. They used to live next door. They would check in on me. They'd see me walk home from school every day. And a lot of times, you know, I could be over at their house while my mother worked. Um, Kinship is really people who care about me, people who watched me grow up. And kinship is going to be the topic of our conversation today. Thanks to everyone who has tuned into these podcasts so far, everyone that's left a review and joined our conversation online. We are so happy to have you. I'm Deborah Lindner, along with my host, Liz Rivera. Liz, I can't believe it's already episode four. Yeah, it's great. I'm excited. And I feel like we could do these every week. There's so many things to talk about. So many. And we we do hope to do them more often, but today it's focusing on kinship and We have um, a grandmother with us. Tell us about her. So Jeannie um, is is gracious enough to join us today, uh, even after this windstorm or during the windstorm. I'm not sure where we are in relationship to the wind, um, but she's so gracious to join us today. And Jeannie, um, we'd love to hear what's going on in your home and how you became kind of an official kinship provider. Um, So kind of more the official use of the word versus the more casual use of the word. Hi, Liz. Thanks for having me. My name is Jeannie. I live with my granddaughter, Bailey, who is 10 years old. I've had Bailey since since she was born. Um, my daughter is considered a five-star addict. Um, she began using drugs at the age of 14 and was never able to completely conquer it. Ultimately, um, She abandoned her when she was maybe two months old, and she has been with me since then. I'm so glad that she can be with you. I mean, it's a rough start for any child, um, but that's one reason we we stress kinship so much is that there's someone there to catch the baby, maybe literally almost, um, and make sure that they're they're given the care that they need. Thank you. And uh, I found out Jeannie was also a foster parent, and you know, helped raise several foster or children in foster care who still keep in touch with her and who are quite successful out in the world. So um, she can relate to foster parents very well who might be tuning in. So the role of kinship as it relates to child welfare here in Utah, um, I was amazed to hear that 30,000 children in Utah are in the care of relatives other than their parents. And Our foster parents at Utah Foster Care come in contact with children's relatives all the time. And this brings together, we are part at Utah Foster Care, we're part of what's called the Kinship Coalition. And another um, member of that coalition is uh, the Grand Families Program in Utah. And Bacall Hicks is joining us right now. She runs the Grand Families Program at Children's Service Society. And they're going to be holding a town meeting free for foster families and the public on September 24th. Welcome, Bacall. 
Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and um, during Kinship Month, which is September, um, to discuss these amazing kinship families that um, have come in to take care of a relative's child in their time of need. Very excited. So where does kinship care begin? Is it when a child is taken out of their home because it's no longer safe for them to stay in that home? You know, that's a really great question as Oftentimes, um, for the families that we work with at Grand Families at Children's Service Society of Utah, they, there is not an official removal from the home as we traditionally think of when we think of foster care. Um, oftentimes, you know, I, and I'm not sure if this is exactly what happened with Jeannie, but oftentimes it is a child gets left at grandma's house for a weekend to be taken care of, and then mom does not come home. And so these families are oftentimes left to try to navigate difficult systems that they're not used to and navigate the world of taking care of this new child who may come with their own, as a many foster families are aware, behaviors or um, difficulties to overcome. Jeannie, that's a, is, oh, sorry. Is that what I was going to find out? Uh, Jeannie, is that what happened in your case? That's exactly what would happen is that she would leave and then she wouldn't come back. And she would come back after a week and sleep and not have a lot of contact with the child. And essentially, she would leave for months at a time. And at that point, um, it was too destructive to have her around the child at that point. Yeah, that, that Jeannie, that is so common and often the story we hear from caregivers who come to our program to access services is, you know, mom left, she's been gone for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, now what do we do? What's our next steps? And that number, that 30,000 number you cited, you know, in, in foster care, we usually run around 2,800 kids, 27, 2,800. So you think about that, 10 times that number of children are in the care of relatives. And not only then are the relatives providing this amazing um, service to the kids in their families, but they're also providing, keeping kids out of foster care. And so it's just, it's a, it's a stunning number and a stunning um, amount of, of work and energy that these families are putting into their own families, but it, it, but it benefits the community as a whole. So Bacall, what kind of challenges do, do kinship providers face? I'm sure Jeannie can speak to this <laughs> more readily than I can, but absolutely what we see um, coming in often is, is how do I get these kiddos registered for school? Um, oftentimes with them not being a legal guardian, some school districts won't let them register them for school, or if the child has an IUP or other special education, won't let them have access to that information. Um, it could be as simple as finding childcare because most of our kin caregivers are still working um, when you hear the word grandfamily or grandparent, we often think of older, older adults who are retired, and that's just usually not the case. Um, so they're needing help with childcare. They're needing help with finding clothing. A lot of these kiddos just came for that weekend visit, so they don't have their clothing. They don't have their toys. They don't have their things. Um, so helping families to access those things to just take care of these kids is usually our first initial step. Jeannie, um, did, are you facing some of those challenges even today? You know, I think if there was one thing that I had to have to say is that I would 
ask people to ask for help because we as a family suffered through this on our own and there was a lot of pain and um, doubt and what did we do wrong? What should we have done with our own child when there were resources like grand families out there? Um, eventually I did go to the grand families six weeks course and learned things that I learned at through the School of Hard Knocks. So I suggest to parents to go and listen, get assistance because it's out there. The school system also has um, programs in place. Uh, I put Bailey into programs as uh, when she was 18 months old. So there, there is help there, but you can't let the shame and the, the stigmatism that follows you because you're in this situation to overshadow the child's need and your own needs for that matter, because there is help. How did you find out about grand families? You know, my daughter had referred me and I had heard from a few other sources, but not until desperation became very, very desperate um, did I actually search into it? By the time I, I had gotten there, I was to the end of my rope. I was, I was pretty broken. Well, we're, glad you, we're glad that you did. And then you can only wonder how many other family members are out there doing what you did, but without the services and, and in the same situation that you were in. When I went to the first grand families, I looked around at the, the families there and thought, um, wow, there are some people here that really had no, no clue what was going to happen next, such as what happens to your social status, because your social status changes you uh, financially, guardianship, um, what types of behaviors can I uh, look, to for my, look to from my child? So, so many things that as they went through their six weeks, I went, oh, I saw that too. Yes, I saw that too. And families who just were like, really? Because people honestly believe that their child is going to get better and magically come home and take care of their child. Well, guess what? It's not what happens. So you have to be prepared. Be prepared. Jeannie, I, I love that you said that um, because... Um, I believe I mentioned this to someone the other day, one of my favorite components of our grand families program actually is after the classes that you're referencing, our, our, our psychoeducation grand families classes, we actually have what we call friend to friends where we try to connect people back together that have gone through these classes at least monthly. Um, and that is really our intention there is, is because we realize um, through our own experiences through the program, as well as through our amazing caregivers who've come through the program and provided feedback to us, that that is a key issue, this, this um, isolation and change in your status in your family and in your friends and all of those things, you do feel very much alone and not just the caregivers, even the children who are in the care, um, because it's really hard. I've had um, teenagers who've come through who won't invite, quote, invite grandma and grandpa to like a school event because they're embarrassed to explain why grandma and grandpa are there because they don't want to tell their friends that their mom doesn't want to take care of them. So there, there is this isolating component 
of being in these situations um, that through being in the classes and then the friend to friends, we, we try to get rid of hopefully through being around others who are also feeling those same emotions and feelings and that that way they can have this safe space to be themselves. It's actually quite um, a positive experience. I love um, that, that aspect of our program a lot. Now, the other side of the coin is foster parents who have a child brought into their home and they take care of them. Then all of a sudden they are, they are, um, things change because kinship comes, comes calling. And Liz, tell me what you teach foster parents about dealing with, um, with relatives of, uh, of their kids in care. So we um, let families know from the very beginning that the goal of DCFS is Division of Child and Family Services is to get kids with kin uh, whenever possible. So when children come into care, immediately and then through the life of the case, uh, DCFS will be looking for kin. And we talk a lot about, you know, we, we ask them if there was a child, think of a child in your family, you know, a nephew, a niece, a grandchild. Now imagine that child's coming to foster care. Wouldn't you want to get them back into your family? And so we, we try to help them understand not only the, the family's desire to have that child stay in the family, but also how it benefits the child to stay in the family. Um, the connections to, you know, medical uh, history and cultural history and family stories and family pictures. And the, 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 the word kinship itself always makes me think about continuity and connection. And the more we can keep these kids connected um, to their family of origin, their culture of origin, the better they, they tend to do. And so while foster families are amazing and we're grateful for them and we want these kids to be with them and, and be in, in good care with them as they are, if these kids can be placed with kin, appropriate safe kin, that is going to always be the priority. How often does that happen once time's gone by and they've been with the, the foster family for a few months and then all of a sudden a, a, a family member is discovered? How often does that happen? More and more lately um, because of just the, the emphasis on kin, uh, both locally as well as nationally. And so it used to be, you know, the 120 days used to sort of be that time frame. We'd always tell foster families, so Kin has 120 days from removal to come forward and, and say, we'd like to be considered for placement of this child. And now that 120 days, even though it's still codified, there's a much uh, looser time frame now. And so we tell families, it can be six months, it can be maybe a year. And usually there's a reason why the kin hasn't been discovered. Maybe it's, it's extended kin or they were in, they're in another state or you know, all kinds of things happen in families where they get disconnected. And so once DCFS, because they'll keep searching for kin and once they find that kin, um, if they're safe and appropriate, that is going to be the priority um, most of the time. Now there are times where if a child's been in, with a foster home for a very long period of time, that at that point we have to consider you know, breaking those attachments um, so that gets, it can get very difficult decisions to make. And so that's why we try to make the decision sooner rather than later. What, what does a kin family have to do to be assessed to be safe? And you I guess, what? yeah, so I don't know if Bacall wants to jump in here. Um, no, she doesn't want to. Okay. <laughs> Zoom is nice because then we can see people shaking their heads. Yes or no. Um, so 
and I think this goes back to kind of what McCall was saying in the very beginning, that there's different ways kids come to kin. So in like with Jeannie's case, you know, with the child being left with her by the mother, there's no outside party stepping in, you know, saying, you know, yes, Jeannie, you can have this child or not. That's just, that's within the family. And that, and like we've talked about, there's 30, if there's 30,000 kids in this situation, that's happening most of the time. So it's very rare that we're having a third party make those determinations. And that's historically been true and it's true still for a lot of a lot of cultures um now if if the child has been removed so if the child was in the care of the parent and then was removed from the parent by dcfs then you have the state involved and you have courts involved and then um, if kin comes forward at that point whether they're getting licensed or not they will have to have at the minimum background checks and home studies to determine the suitability and there is a push nationwide as well as in utah to provide some leniency because you know if you have a bedroom size that's required for a foster parent, non-related foster parent, and then you have a grandmother who lives in maybe a, a cute little bungalow mm -hmm. that has very tiny bedrooms from the 1920s, you know, we're not going to hold her to that same standard and say, well, you know, your bedrooms aren't big enough, so you can't have your grandkids. So there is some, some flexibility um, when it comes to those kinds of things. But right. never, I, never safety things. Right. The, yes. Safety stays standard. Um, one thing to that I always like to keep in mind when we're talking about this home study component as it relates to non-relative versus relative care, oftentimes, most of the time, um, the relative caregivers, they did not plan for this. They did not go in and they did not contact Utah Foster Care and say, hey, I want to be a foster family. And they go through all the courses and they have all this time to prepare and get their homes ready and all the items that they need and all the training that they need to deal with some of the things that they know might be coming from caring for a child who's experienced a lot of trauma. Um, all of those things don't happen until after the child is in their home. And so it is a completely different experience for them. Um, I actually had a neighbor who um, had a, a three-bedroom home and her uh, sister-in-law, I believe, um, she ended up having the kids removed and placed in this family's home as kinship. So she had three kids of her own. They lived in a three-bedroom home, which was fine for them and their family, but then they added four relatives, four nieces and nephews. Um, and in order to get some of that foster care licensing, um, they had to move. They had to find a new home um, because they had to meet certain safety requirements. And so I just think we need to keep that in mind. That's why there sometimes is those leniencies because they weren't planning on having four additional children enter into their life unexpectedly. Um, with three of them with IEPs through school, one of them with medical issues. I mean, this was a very unexpected moment in their life. Um, it ended well, just so you guys know, everything ended positively, but those are the things that are different between traditional foster care and kinship, whether it's in the informal setting like Jeannie has gone through or the formal setting if they go through and get foster care licensed. So Jeannie, since you've been both a kinship provider and a foster parent, what would be some of the things you'd like to tell foster parents out there about dealing with kin and just, you know, to make them understand? All children need love. All children need acceptance. And all children need to belong somewhere. And I think it's the most important to let them know that it's not them. 
things happened to them that created the situation. It's so important to make sure that the child's self-esteem stay intact and that they be allowed to excel at the things they're good at and the talents that they, that they have. What if, what if the foster family feels some resentment, quite frankly, that Ken is stepping in and taking the child that's lived in their home for months? You know, I think we all form attachments, but I think that we need to be satisfied that we did a good thing. And there's so much need out there that there's always place, there's always places to do good for many, many more. That's a great point. I think it's important to remember too that the kinship caregivers are not the biological parents. Um, they might be within the same family, but they are not the same people. And the the need to stay, I mean, Liz, you kind of highlighted this, but the need to stay connected to your cultural history, your family history, it's very much ingrained in all of us. That's why we have all these genealogy sites and everything going on in our communities. We want to know where we're from and our history. And so maintaining those connections, regardless of the permanent outcome of the child, even if they're staying in um, a, a formal foster care family, um, maintaining those connections with the kinship family is very important to the well-being of the child, regardless of, of the permanency outcomes. As foster parents, you can actually have a relationship with the kin providers and perhaps even still see the kids, right? Yeah, and we have several families who've done that, who have transitioned kids out of their home into kinship care. And Luckily, it's gone well and been positive, and they babysit and they still see the kids. And it's, I mean, that's the best of both worlds. Whatever, you know, that we want kids to lose as few people as possible. Like Bacall said, regardless of the permanency outcomes, let's not have kids lose kids, people along the way um, just because of a legal status. So, absolutely. I was over at Foster Parents' house this summer. There was, there was some event. Um, <laughs> the kids were playing in the backyard. And anyway, um, one of their um, kids that had been in foster care came by with the dad and, and the dad dropped her off and just to play at the, the foster parents home and they got to see her. She got to see that her dad and her foster parents had a good relationship. And you could just tell that, you know, the more people that loved that little girl, the better off she was. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the, the Kinship Town Hall, the call, tell us about that and who should, who should tune in for that? Yes, we are having a Kinship Town Hall later this month, September 24th from 7 to 8 p.m. Um, you can register to attend the event on Eventbrite. Um, we also, honestly, anyone should attend. Um, we are looking at this opportunity to have some a foster family who's kinship, a non-foster, a non-foster family with kinship, and then also um, a youth who was raised in kinship as well as foster care um, to be present for that town hall where they're going to answer some of our questions as well as an opportunity for the community to submit some questions to be answered about experiences. And it really is just to end kinship month, which is September um, of every year, on a high note of of educating and understanding what kinship families are and the role they play in our communities. 
That's great. And I think the more we can get the word out about grand families, going back to what Jeannie said earlier, um, because we know there are families out there who don't know their resources. And so if we can get, you know, this person knows about it. And then like you said, your, their neighbor ends up taking in their grandkids or, you know, their niece and nephew. And now they, oh, I heard this thing about this grand families program and they can get, they can get hooked up. So that's great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, easiest way to find out information about the town hall as well as the grand families program is to just go to cssutah.org. And there'll be information about the Grand Families program and the town hall coming up later this month. That's wonderful. And we'll, we'll make sure when we post um, this episode of the podcast that we have a link um, both to Grand Families as well as to uh, register for the town hall. And, and Liz, um, tell me, will foster parents be able to get any, any in-service training hours for this? Yes, DCFS administration has approved um, an hour of in-service training credit. So they will get an opportunity to learn and also get some of their credit hours they need to relicense. So Jeannie, um, grandmother that you are, um, I know your 10-year-old your granddaughter will be coming home from, uh, from a school very soon, and we, we have to wind this up, but any final words you'd have out there for either, you know, grandparents, our kinship, you know, raising, raising uh, their relatives, um, or foster parents, any final words for them? I think it's important for families to know that children need a safe place to be and they, there can't be too many people doing that. I think the community as a whole needs to become accepting of different types of families, such as kinship families. Just because there's a kinship relationship doesn't mean that something, someone was bad. It meant that someone has a disease that addiction is a disease and it can happen to a lot of, to many, many people. So the community as a whole should be aware that there are all different kinds of families. And, and when you have cancer, people bring you casseroles and visit and you. What happens when you have addiction in your family? When you have addiction, there is a stigmatism that comes along with it and there is shame and you wonder whether you, you don't want people to know um, things happen that people might consider that you did something wrong. What happened in the family that your child ends up becoming an addict? Um, there is not a lot of support. It's like it hasn't come out of the closet yet. And I don't think that as a family, we were perfect. However, I don't think that the addiction was our fault as a family. Addiction is really hard on people. And once children start using drugs or people start using drugs, it changes their brain chemistry and they are not who they were before. So we have to recognize that it is an illness. Thank you very much. Um, Jeannie Pettit, uh, Bacall Hanks, and of course, my wonderful co-host, Liz Rivera. Liz, any final thoughts on this? And um, any final thoughts for foster parents? Just, just that, that thinking once again from the family perspective. If, if, if you know a child in your family um, was going to be in foster care, was in foster care, what lens would you go to to get them back in the family again? And I think we always want to keep that in mind um, when we're thinking about keeping families together. 
Thank you all. And don't forget the Kinship Town Hall on September 24th. Uh, you can register for that on Eventbrite. And if you're a foster parent, you can get in-service training hours. Well, thank you all for being us with us today. Everyone who, um, Jeannie, Bacall, and Liz, and thank you all out there for listening. This has been Fostering Conversations with Utah Foster Care. Thank you for joining us. For more information, go to utahfostercare.org. We'll see you next time.